Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi again, and welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today I'm chatting to Tim DeFern, who has over 30 years in the mining industry, starting off as a miner down in the pit, which is back in the day. And since then, he's risen up through the ranks and been in some executive management positions. And he's currently the group head of mining at ICL Group over in Barcelona in Spain. I'm interested in Tim's journey, having managed companies at a CEO and MD level. and want to get an insight, as I'm sure you do, how he managed those companies successfully and what it takes to work at that level. So let's get straight into this. And I want to welcome Tim DeFern. Hi, Tim. Hello, Rob. How are you today? I'm not too bad, thanks. That's that's get underway, and I want to give an uh, want you to give an audience, uh, sorry, give the audience a brief background of how you started in mining. So sure. back in the day when you were a miner, um, back in the late '80s, um, yeah, just wondered if you could share your journey from back then. Sure. So I I, uh, I grew up on a farm in rural Australia, and uh, was very privileged to have uh, some uh, elderly mining engineers. Uh, to encourage me to to embark on uh, professional training through university, but I was always uh, had a foot in the soil of, of working with machines and and, and the soil or, or rock. So the beginning of my career was very much as a an underground miner uh, and also in in an open pit mine. And then through the benefit of professional training at university, started to to move into engineering roles. Yeah, my my real goal as a young man was to remain in the, the rural parts of Australia or, or in the world. I didn't particularly want a, a life in the city. Um, and that attracted me. It was either farming or, or mining. That yep. was the, the routes I saw in life. I've been fortunate to have learned some very practical engineering skills as a, as a young man. And, and as I've worked through my career, to me, I've, I've always seen uh, engineering, uh, technical skill, and, and working with the men and the machinery as the cornerstone to, to my strengths. And, and it's given me the platform to, to then reach senior and, and even executive yeah. management roles. Yes, certainly. So from what I know of you, did you initially start in, in a, uh, an operation as an operative? Um, yeah, I think right. so you started off and then obviously during the course of your career, you then obviously got further education in various subjects. So what was yeah. it like back then when you started back in the late eighties as a, as a miner or an operator? It, it, it gave me everything I wanted. It was uh, hard physical work, which when you're a young bloke, you, you like to, to pit your strength uh, against what your, your tasks are. Uh, great camaraderie, great uh, remuneration each week, which enabled you to, to go out and chase girls, drink beer and, <laughs> and drive a fast car. <laughs> wasn't there to like about being a young miner. Um, however, I, I've always had an interest in the technical yeah. And very quickly wanted to be involved with, well, why are we doing it this way? How, how could you improve this operation? Uh, and always looking for the innovation. Miners are very innovative um, artisans. 
it, it isn't just a blunt two-dimensional task. It's a very much a three-dimensional approach to, to hewing rock out of uh, the ground. And I, I loved that technical. And that really gave me the foundation for enjoying my career. I, yeah. uh, I still get out of bed every day loving what I do. Yeah. I noticed uh, you, you're obviously Australian. Um, I noticed that you worked, started working in Australia, then you moved to the UK. Yes. How, how was that? And, what, and why did you move to the UK to then continue in mining? Um, and probably back then, I suppose what I know of mining back then, obviously I was pretty young then. Yeah, how, how, was, how was that from going from Australia, which is predominantly mining is a, a big industry, to come to the UK, which it, it wouldn't have been? I think I didn't necessarily see the move from Australia to the UK as going from a, a country with a, a lot of mines to a country with few mines. I, I looked at it differently. Primarily the move to the UK was uh, because I, I fell in love uh, to, to a young woman who is uh, the wife and mother to my children. And I was able to, to live here in Cornwall, which is in, in many ways quite Australian or to yeah. use in, engineers English, Australian-esque. It's, it's rural, it's full of farms, uh, it, it's got a great coastline, great surfing, uh, great food and, and beer. So, so all the attributes of Australia as well as great rugby teams and, uh, and, and sports. So there wasn't culturally a huge difference. Yeah. Cornish people had always been in Australia developing mines. So there was yeah. a, a real affinity. I then used the UK or, or England as a springboard to an international career. And, and so that means I, I haven't really stopped ever working in mining. I, I've just adjusted it from pure operations to blend it with um, consulting work, uh, design, construction management work, executive management work. And, and so it, it's just helped me broaden my career. Where you, where you live in mining doesn't necessarily have to reflect where you work. Yeah. You, you can pick a place which suits family, and uh, your sort of day-to-day -day weekends, you know, what you like to do, uh, your hobbies, but at the same time, be able to blend that with your, your international career. Mining is one of the few businesses where you can truly work internationally um, and still be working in the same spheres. Yeah, yeah. So that's the prime reason for moving, yeah. and it's never impeded me in, in my career at all. Yeah, and again, from, from knowing what you have done in your career, you then also went back to Australia. So you went from Australia to the UK and then went back to Australia. And again, what, were, what was the reason for that? Was it the, mining, the UK mining industry back then? And if you could give us some time dates or years around when that happened. Obviously, you went back to the UK. Was that because there was a downturn in UK mining back then? Or there was more opportunity? It was purely just interest in, in a particular job. I... Mm -hmm. I I haven't necessarily stayed with uh, one company for, for very long. Um, probably on average, around about two years has, has been my sort of stints with different companies. Some a little bit longer and, and some less. I've done staff work, contract work, uh, and, and consulting work. And it's been quite eclectic. And throughout my career, I've generally taken the next job based on I'd like to learn something or I feel that I can use and develop my engineering skill to, to improve that operation. And that's reflected in my current roles. 
um, and has been reflected in some of the executive roles I've taken, which have been turnarounds. Yeah. So they're more assignment driven rather than geographically driven. So my return to Australia was, I was made an offer that looked really interesting. I went, yeah, let's go and do that. Yeah. And now that, that sounds a bit like a gypsy. And, yeah. and I'm unashamed in, in being a little bit gypsy-like. That doesn't yeah. mean I'm irresponsible, but it certainly means I've, I've taken a, a bit of a bold sort of Australian step forward into being a bit entrepreneurial with my career. And yeah. I, I've enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I haven't just sat at one corporation all my life. Yeah, well, I certainly know where I'd rather be, uh, the UK or Australia. I, I'm actually an Australian citizen as well, so I can go out there and, uh, and um, work and live myself. But I sh- I'm sure the, uh, I know where I'd rather be anyway. What would you say the main differences are between the Australian mining industry and the UK mining industry? And not in relation to, obviously, the size, because it's, it's, that's not comparable. But I suppose the practices... Both the, the, whilst the UK industry is, is very small, um, that there's probably less than a dozen uh, underground mines compared to, to several hundreds in, in Australia, the, the, the main differences are, are actually n- not that great. They're, they're all modern. They have the same regulatory regime from, from the state. The, the machinery in use is identical from the main global equipment suppliers. The, the working practices and the skills of the miners are, are very similar. The, the same approach to, to management, maintenance of machinery, determination of resources and reserves, all of these factors are almost identical. The Australasian JORC code is used in, in the UK as it is in Australia. So there is more similarities than there are differences. Yeah. And I think that really the, the main difference is in Australia is that there's Issues related to water, uh, given it's a desiccated and, and dry continent, the UK is blessed with a little more water and, and rainfall. But the, the the people, the operations, management, design, and, and uh, leadership of mining in Australia and or in the UK are more similar than different. Yeah. One question I think some of the younger audience would like to know, and because of the obviously I'm based in the UK at the moment, there isn't much of an industry here. There and obviously graduates are graduating in a mining in mine engineering or mining discipline, and there is limited opportunities for them to get into a site role. I've advised them to potentially look at opportunities in Australia because it's obviously a bigger industry. Is there any advice that you would give someone, um, a recent graduate? What kind of advice would you give them? in terms of looking and seeking opportunities in Australia. And I'm glad, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the, the recent graduates and younger audience would be sort of interested in your thoughts. Sure. My view of all young graduates is if, if you're possible, go and get practical work. And that means starting work as a geologist, engineer, metallurgist, whatever the area, at an operating mine site. Clearly, Australia's got more opportunities than in the UK. There are some opportunities in the UK. Let's, let's yep. not forget that there are still nearly a dozen mines which employ people. Yep. However, when you've got hundreds versus sort of 10, the, the, the opportunity is more. Through recruitment agencies like yourselves, there are quite a few well-known recruitment agencies on the internet based in Australia that you, you can obtain work. Getting the necessary visas uh, and getting the references is, is fairly straightforward. There's a great network within the, the CSM 
associates who can help with the sponsorship. So and I've done that with a number of young graduates and, and sort of uh, helped them with their applications and, and given them my name as a reference. It helps that I'm yeah. Australian like yourself, but also a resident of the UK. So get out there, get practical work. What is interesting is that a lot of the UK mines, and also this includes the, the London-based financial businesses, really like graduates who've gone out to Australia or Africa, done their five, seven years, come back, and, and they can land very good jobs in the UK, it's both senior or principal engineers within consultancy, financial institutions in London, or in the operating mines. Yeah. And so you, you find a lot of these um, young engineers, uh, as I said, geologists, metallurgists, come back and end up with great jobs in, in superb locations, very well paid here in the UK, without necessarily having to live in the perhaps harsher, rural, uh, almost desert countryside of the mines in Australia. Yeah. Is that because they've gone out and got practical experience out on site? Absolutely. That, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's so fundamentally, to be a, a my view, to, to be a good uh, operations engineer, to be a good consultant or, or to have a credibility in, in, in London, you need to have your, your five years or so um, getting your hands dirty in a mine. Yeah. That's that's quite that that advice I actually give to a lot of graduates um, and whether they take that or not um, obviously it is up to them but it's good to hear from someone that's been there done that someone at your level as well that you can say it is best to go out and get that site experience because it's gonna obviously put you instead further further in your career by getting that practical experience absolutely it's fundamental yeah I want to move on um, and obviously want to talk about more about your more senior roles that you've had more recently or over the last 10 or 15 years you've been working at various CEO and MD levels managing director levels um so wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about your journey um in that in those sort of senior management and executive positions well my entry into to the executive roles primarily came through a strength in, in technical uh, and engineering the businesses that employed me uh, weren't necessarily looking for, let's call it the Harvard Business School uh, graduate who, yeah. who would have, say, perhaps better skills in organisation and better skills in, in uh, commercial or legal matters than, than myself. The businesses had got themselves into difficulty with not sort of applying good engineering or good technical practices, had, had made errors with, with, with these key fundamentals to a mine. A mine is a, a complex interaction between the normal business aspects of, of selling goods, controlling costs and optimizing optimi uh, the organization, but is fundamentally about making sure the engineering and technical is right. So my, my entry was very much, can you come and help us solve some, some quite difficult engineering problems at the same time as lead the organization through perhaps a, what we'd call a financial turnaround? Yeah. These engineering problems had usually led to uh, poor cash generation. And so at the same time, you're, you're having a, a strong commercial discipline, which engineers tend to, to be sort of fairly conservative in this regard, but bring uh, a strength in, in solving complex engineering problems. The, the combination means that the businesses were able to be turned around. Now, sometimes that means the business is then sold. 
um, because the shareholders have said, all right, you, you've kind of got us to this point, let's move it on, or you improve it. And, and then someone who, who has different sets of skills is then brought in to lead the business going further forward. So really, that, that's the journey of how I got into those roles. You asked earlier about what are some of the key skills in, um, in executive management. I, I think it is fundamentally about teamwork. It's about um, pragmatic leadership. It is, from my perspective, it's about having profoundly strong engineering and technical skills and sharing those in a way that is to, to help people, to teach people how to solve problems in a, in a way that we're working together as a team. It's not about giving solutions. It's about helping the team find solutions and then checking through a peer review process as the team builds the necessary skill, uses that in operations to improve the business. So it's a real hand uh, working together. When I'm on site as a, as a CEO or an MD, I'm in overalls. Yeah. I'm not wearing a suit and tie. I'm there working and sitting with the engineers, working with the foremen, the miners, going through the problems and, and bringing forward perhaps some alternative ways of thinking and, and, and as a team, building that approach to, towards changing the operations, fixing the problems and, and improving the cash flow. That's, yeah. that's what my journey and my experience has been. Because of that, that's currently what I'm employed to do. And yeah. I foresee that the remainder of my career will, will broadly be centered around using those technical and engineering skills to help improve businesses. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that kind of work. It's got its challenges. Um, turnarounds and improvement programs are never straightforward. Yeah. It can be, dare I say it, messy. Yeah. But I, I get a lot of enjoyment from them, and, and you're there to help. Yeah. That's fundamentally. You, you're leading, but you're helping at the same time. So you're kind of a fixer, fixer of a problem yeah. or, and, and provide a solution to turn a company, operation, et cetera, around. Correct. Yeah. That's, a, that's a nice, simple way of looking at it. Yeah. So what, what have been some of the major challenges that you have faced in those senior positions and how, how have you overcome those challenges? How have you turned something around and what has, ha what has been the end result, obviously, in a positive, from a positive perspective? Sure. Anything that you can... That you can you know, there's, a, there's a number yeah. of them that, uh, that, that, that sort of, you know, usually a business has, has a problem with either poor understanding of, say, the geology or an, a misunderstanding of, of grade control and uh, a, a poor grasp of, of the geometry of the ore body, which means that your budget planning for the 12 months is unreliable. You, you Six months ahead, you don't really know the grade or the tons. Yeah. So you've got to start bringing in a better understanding of how you develop all reserves from resources. How do you build up a budget that is reliable? And so that means you've got to start improving grade control, the geology department. You've then got to have engineers who can derive through, through necessary studies. So it's, it's about, that, that's, that's one example. Another example might be it costs a lot of money to, to build additional tailing stand capacity if you've got a plant that generates tailings. Therefore, you need to find out ways to integrate any waste that's generated in the mine to build new facilities at the lowest possible cost. At the same time, you need to build them that meets the requirements of the regulators and also your mine closure plan. So it's about bringing integrated technical planning to, to all aspects of the business, recognizing that you want to keep your working capital low and the capital intensity as low as possible. 
So, you know, I've been fortunate to have a lot of commercial training through my career and, and I blend that with the technical. So whether it be getting the budget right, getting long-term planning right, any infrastructure that needs building, they're sort of three classic examples of problems that we've had to, to deal with. When businesses are short of cash, they stop spending on infrastructure. They yep. stop focusing on geological delineation of the, the, the ore body and you don't develop the mine. And, and, and that's a very traditional. I'm sure there are lots of engineers much older than me and, and in all over the world who would say, when cash is tight, you start to stop cutting out the development activities. Yeah. And then getting out of that hole is difficult. Sometimes it needs raising money from, from a bank uh, to, to help that program. But first of all, you've got to design the program, work out the resource plan, see what the solutions are, come up with them, some scenario analysis to understand what are the pitfalls in moving forward, applying the right level of capital, which means getting the board of directors and the shareholders to, to support the program and then execute that program. Yeah. So I hope that's given you a few ideas of, of the things I've had to resolve uh, in yeah. the last few years. Yeah, certainly. Any successes you want to share with us? Anything major that you've done, done and turned, turned the company around? Oh, look, I, I think that um, Hambledon Mining uh, PLC, which doesn't exist anymore, was yeah. a, a publicly listed uh, company on the, the London Stock Exchange. Um, what was facing almost closure when I joined the business and, and some severe uh, difficulties, we were able to design a, a program to, for improvement. We raised capital uh, on the stock exchange, applied that capital, turned the business around, and, and brought cash generation and improved sustainable operations. It was then decided for various reasons to, to sell the company, which is what the stakeholders and the shareholders wanted to achieve. Yeah. That was done satisfactorily. And I believe when the company was sold sort of nearly three years later, that it was considered to be a, an exemplar in terms of corporate transactions in London. Uh, so we, we took a bit of a mess. We resolved the, uh, the issues, sold the company, Shareholders got their, their money uh, back and uh, it was done in a way that satisfied the regulators in London. Um, and when you're dealing in, a, in an odd jurisdiction um, or, or a complex jurisdiction, that's always the, the best result. So yeah. that, that, that to me was a good success story. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on, you've worked for a few, obviously various companies. So you've worked for mining companies, you've worked for consultancies and you've even worked for a merchant bank, obviously at a very senior level. What would you say the main differences are between these types of organisations from your point of view and from a mining point of view if someone was going to join any of those types of organisations? I'll try and think of some differences. I'll tell you what are the, some of the similarities. The similarities yeah. are you, you need to have a solid understanding of, of technical and engineering matters. That, that yeah. crosses all areas. With, within all of those areas, you need to be a strong communicator, both uh, in the written form to be able to write good quality reports uh, good quality documentation. You need to be able to stand up and speak clearly, enunciate and convey yourself uh, with, with both charisma, but also with a clear understanding of, of technical matters in, in plain English. So they're two key um, similarities across all of those, those jobs. Yeah. And I think with the, the, the third one is you need to have confidence in your own skill level to be able to um, not talk nonsense, and to be able to, to speak clearly about the matters at, at hand. Differences, operations is, is, is very much uh, focused around cash generation. Consultancy is providing good quality advice. 
So that's quite a different. Merchant banking is, is, a, is a little bit more complex than that. That involves uh, both complex and, and high-level um, commercial skills at the same time as, as understanding how that fits into a sort of more corporate matters. So there's one, some of them are very corporate, some of them are much more technical, and, and some of them are blending technical and engineering with the practicalities of operating machines and working with men and women. So they're some of the differences, but I think there are more similarities than differences in, in these areas. Yeah, and would you, need, would you say you, people need certain attributes to work for those types of organizations, i.e., would you need certain attributes to work for a mining company that are different to attributes to working for a consultancy and even the banking industry? Or is it your general overall knowledge, understanding of mining in relation to what that company wants to achieve? The differences, I would say, within a, let's say, merchant banking, you certainly need to be very articulate. Yeah. And that means a skill in your profession, your, your professional skill needs to be able to be articulated very well. And you need to have a, a solid commercial, corporate, and almost legal understanding. That is a little different from very detailed technical and engineering analysis of a consultancy. Having said that, if you're asked to present your technical work to a board of directors or, or a group level engineering staff, th then you also need some particularly strong communication skills. And, and of course, the same goes in a mining company. Yeah. A mining company is about balancing and compromising between technical and operations and costs. Consultancy, you're hired to produce high quality technical work. Merchant banking is, is more commercial, legal and corporate. They're the differences. At the core is always technical yeah. um, and, and communication and, and, and of course teamwork. But there's some of the differences in that regard. If you wanted to go down the merchant banking route, you need to develop more commercial skills. To stay in consultancy, you need to have profound technical skill. Working in operations, you need to balance a number of different skills. So it's a juggling act that's a little bit different in that regard. Yeah, but that's a good summarization if anyone's listening as to obviously if they're looking at moving into different types of companies, what you should be obviously aware of. So that's a good summary. Um, what, what would you say the main key skills you would say if someone wants to become a CEO or an MD where you obviously you've been through that path and you've come up from the, uh, the ranks as a safe, as a minor operator, et cetera. What, what's, how would someone sort of develop their skills to, to get to that level? What would you suggest someone should look at if they, what, if their aspiration is to be a CEO or an MD of a, whether it's a mining company, whether it's a consultancy, et cetera. I think you, you've got to start with teamwork. Um, I think that's a fundamental and, and that means you've got to be comfortable both as a leader and as a follower and, and as a team member. And I think so developing your own interpersonal skills, uh, that, that is a, a key attribute. Uh, without sounding too repetitious, you need to have really strong technical and engineering skills. You need to know how this works. Yeah. Commercial skills, you, you, you need to be looking at, at building up either through some sort of master's program or perhaps some professional training program business administration skills. I have an MBA. Many engineers choose that as a, as a route to bringing a roundedness to, to their um, uh, technical skills. 
throughout your career, you need to work in, in different areas. You, you need to not just be in production, you need to work in, in maintenance. You need to understand human resources, the accounting functions, uh, sales and, and marketing of the product. So you need to have the full range of business skills to give you a good understanding. So as you develop your career, you, you, are, you need to move to different departments, different functions within a corporation, and whether that means the same corporation or different businesses, that they are key ways to build up the full range of skills that you require. You, you need to build up presentation skills, the ability to stand up and communicate in, in a, as a leader or, or um, a senior person in front of a group of people and, and do that with confidence. Yeah. So, so there are a range of skills which come from breadth. Uh, at the same time, you need the appropriate depth. So it, yeah. it's, uh, if, you're, if you're going to compete as a CEO with someone who's been an accountant and who's been a, is a very strong accountancy skills, you're not going to compete professionally in that regard. You need to complement. But if someone's choosing a CEO, what they want to see is, can you do accounting well enough to understand and talk to an accountant? The same with the legal department or the human resources manager. So you need to have the skills to be, and, and breadth in that regard. Yeah. So you can't just be a pure engineer. Yeah, so it's like having a little bit of each discipline. So you need a, a good understanding of metallurgy, processing, a little bit of understanding of maintenance, but enough to hold your own if you were questioned on a particular, uh, a question around a particular discipline. So you need, need to have a very good understanding of each of those different disciplines. So obviously you can hold yourself if you're speaking to the board or speaking to an investor um, that may pose a question around that particular discipline. I'd agree. When you, technical people don't always end up in the boardroom. It, it's, it's uncommon. The predominant boardroom uh, candidates are legal and, and accountancy. Um, and, and they are two very key skills to leading a corporation. For a technical person to step into that arena, they need to build a, a significant breadth of skills to, to be able to show the board that in, in this situation, those skills are more important or more valuable than pure accounting skills or pure legal skills. So I, I think that's a key message is build a profound depth, depth and width in your skill base if you want to be a candidate for a boardroom position because you're not a natural fit, yeah. say, compared to an accountant uh, or, or, or a legal professional. Yeah, so it's something that you've got to learn. So which probably goes on to the next question I want to ask you is sort of what advice would you give someone that sort of wants to get into that role? What should they be doing? Is there any particular qualifications they should be studying? Um, is there anything outside of the day-to-day -day work that they should be doing um, in order to, to aim to get to those senior positions? And again, it's from think, your experience. So it, it's about breadth of roles, ensuring that you build a career where you you have a, you can thread uh, the, the the sort of career path um, towards building breadth and depth. It, it take you know it, it took me nearly thirty years to to get that level of skill base. It, it's not a rush to the top or a race to the top. Yeah, I think building in some solid professional skills commercially through either a, an MBA or, or a similar type of program perhaps even some programs from the, 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 the 
the wonderful universities where you can do some executive education. These are also good skills that, that can help you in this regard. I think outside of, of work, you, you are looking at community leadership roles or community roles where, whether it's in the scouting network or your local athletics club, and it's taking on roles of the, within the governance structures so that you understand how to govern an organisation. But also what it teaches you is when you're working with the local tennis club is you're not there to, to uh, lead an organisation. You're there to in, build enjoyment and, and skill and, and the, the, it's efficient, but you're all having a good laugh at the same time. And these are the softer leadership skills that help build on the more formal organisational skills you'll, you'll find in an organisation. So it's about rounding the, the business skills with the, the community leadership roles. And I, I personally believe those are, are strong complementary skills. I'm also unashamedly a father to, to three sons and I think I'm not necessarily promoting family, but being a, a dad in a family um, and, and having a very strong family unit is a, is a great way to, to, to learn about life. And yeah. uh, one of the key attributes I, I certainly would say is as a CEO, it's a very demanding role. It takes a lot of time. We are not talking about nine to five, Monday to Friday. There are times when you are working uh, from more, when you wake up to when you go to bed at seven days a week you could be away from home. You need a strong foundation, a cornerstone in your life, which is unshakable. And that has to be uh, centered around family from my perspective. And that combination of building a strong foundation with family, community, supports you when you're putting in significant time and effort at a leadership role. So, so I think this is, it's having a holistic approach. Yeah. To, to building yourself as a person as well as as professional yeah now that's an important point if anyone is looking at working at that level it isn't just a monday to friday role where you go into the office eight o'clock whatever time finish at whatever time i think it's nearly 24 hours a day that you are working because no matter where you are you're going to be seen as the leader of that company um and you will be looked up to, you're going to be questioned. So you could be out with your family and someone may recognize you and you're upholding that, your company. So um, yeah, it's, it's good to hear that. It's not just a five day, uh, five day a roll week. It is um, seven days, could be 24 hours and people need to be prepared for that if that's where you want to go. Taking on a, an executive leadership role is, is about a commitment to the organization and to the shareholders. If you're going to sit in front of a, a London-based or a New York-based uh, investor, they want to know that, that you are committing all of your efforts, skill and capabilities and using your very best endeavours for, for the use of their capital to, yeah. to maximise their returns. That is not to be taken lightly uh, and it's a responsibility. And uh, Your aim is to, to return a, and, and make as much uh, cash for those investors as possible. That, that's the reason you're running that corporation. Yeah. Not to solve engineering problems. That is part of the reason why you might be employed, but your remit is fundamentally about cash generation and profit maximization for those investors with stewardship of, of uh, the environment and, and making sure everyone is safe and goes home every single day in that business. Th that's your role, that's your responsibility. And uh, it's demanding, but it's intensely enjoyable. And yeah. uh, 
you know, I, I would say to anyone, if they have the abilities and desire, you know, work, strive towards that, uh, but don't misunderstand the responsibility. Yeah. Okay, I want to move on to your obviously current position with ICL. Um, obviously, you're the um, group head of mining um, at ICL. I, in a previous podcast, I inter- interviewed Andrew Fulton. Um, so I just wanted to get an understanding of what your role is within ICL and what you're coming ball to do. So my, my current role is, is to support uh, and work alongside Andrew, who, who's the Vice President and General Manager of the uh, ICL UK operations, which is the Bowlby Mine in, in North Yorkshire. And that's to uh, assist Andrew uh, as necessary with uh, technical, uh, safety, any aspect related to budget uh, derivation and, and attainment. Um, and and it, it covers all areas. I do the same with a, a colleague of his called Carles, uh, who has a responsibility for two large mines in uh, northern Spain. Um, so it it's a really is a supporting role. I, I report directly to the president of the Potash Division, and my role is also to provide advice uh, and understanding of mining matters to, to the, the senior executives of ICL. Yep. And what challenges have you come up against? Or if you have any major challenges, what, what challenges have you come across in your role in uh, obviously overseeing these operations in England and Spain? I suppose the, the, the main challenges are to, to improve uh, budget uh, performance and that's the same with any organization is is making sure that um, budgets are attained and exceeded and whether that be related to to safety or, or to uh, production uh, or cost control all of those factors uh, come into it um, so I'm not really at liberty to go into too much detail yeah. for, for obvious reasons it's a yeah. public entity and I, I'm uh, but ultimately it, it's about the transition at Bulby from a potash operation to a polyhalite operation. It's the world's first polyhalite yep. mine. It has a unique geology. It has a unique uh, characteristics, which mean that we're, that the business is learning and mining at the same time. Very exciting. As an engineer, about as exciting as it gets. You're okay. deep under the, the earth. You're 1.6 kilometers deep. You're out under the ocean and you're mining a material that no one's ever mined before. And, and that is a unique opportunity. So that, that you, you've got to help with the learning process. And so that's a, a using strong technical skills to support those teams. In Spain, the mines are uh, approximately a kilometer below ground. There are significant geological and, and what we call tectonic or rock mechanics forces at play. It's a very complex uh, geometrical uh, mineralization. And, and you're trying to resolve challenging problems. So really that the big challenges are profoundly technical and, and it's about coming up with solutions to those that you can then help with budget attainment. That's the real key. And, and as you can probably gather from our conversation, technical and engineering are, are my strengths and it's about using those to improve operational performance. Uh, and that's why I'm there. Yeah. Right, just want to slowly wrap up now. Um, so the last sort of five minutes or so, just want to uh, give you some uh, quick fire questions. Um, what does mining mean to you? Providing the resources for society to, to improve and, and develop. Okay. What has been, who has been the most influential person in your mining career? 
one person? Gosh, that that would be. There's been a lot. Be, doesn't have to be one person. Can be can be a few people. Who, who's actually, I suppose, you thought has made quite a big difference. And if you don't, if you don't want to mention names, that's fine. That, that's fine. I, I, I'd, um, I'd probably uh, highlight Mr. Nick Clark, who's the current CEO of uh, Central Asian Metals, uh, based in London. I actually, I actually interviewed him the other week. So uh, Nick, Nick, uh, an incredible engineer yeah. and businessman. I have an immense amount of time and, and regard for, for Nick. Gee, that I'd put Dr. Phil Newell, um, managing director of Wardell Armstrong, as someone who I have personally and professionally enjoyed a great deal of time with, uh, an out and out professional with a, a tremendous sense of humour um, and tremendous skill. Um, so, so I, I think I'd put Phil Phil along there. Mr. Nick Bridgen, uh, who's been the CEO for the last 25 years of of a number of public and private corporations based in, in Central Asia and who has led and developed a number of businesses working with uh, Bob Friedland um, and others. So he is a particularly strong individual um, who, who has given me both mentoring, but also we've worked together in leadership of developing some of those businesses. Look, there are three names that, that come to, to light. I'm sure over at B, we could we could think of a few others. Yeah, yeah certainly. Um, is there anything else you still want to achieve in your career? At the moment, I've, I've stepped sideways uh, away from a direct, we'll call it executive leadership role, although I sit in a, in a leadership position. I think uh, I'd like to, to perhaps one day return to, to a pure executive leadership role and continue to do what I do well. And I certainly would like to develop some further technical resources for the industry through consultancy. I think there are opportunities for consultants to develop improved business practices, improved ways of examining mineral properties. And certainly over the next 20 years, I'd like to combine further leadership of, of uh, mining companies and also help develop and improve business practices. And, and whether that's through consultancy, um, I, I believe probably will be. And, and really, in a way like yourself, give back to the industry by improving profitability of, of mining properties. We, yeah. The industry could do better and, and we need to be one of the leading investment community, investment um, businesses where investors say, I want to invest in a mining company because I get great superior returns and the stewardship of resources, uh, the environment and of people is, is number one in the world. Yeah. That's the aspiration I believe the industry should have. Yeah, that follows on to my next question. Uh, where do you see the future of mining? Continue to be a cornerstone of, of modern society. It's been there since the beginning of time and, and I, I believe it'll be there forever. And it needs to be seen as, as an industry that is world leading in every sphere of society, from stewardship to safety, to business performance, to governance, uh, so that you know, people talk about mining as, as one of the great industries of society and that anyone in the mining industry is seen as, as really contributing to, to society. Yeah. Well, it is, it is a necessity in the mining industry. Mining is all around you, no matter what you do. It's either ag agriculture or it's even mined. So, and I don't think a lot of people know that, but everything around you is or has been mined um, from buildings to 
to everything basically. So, uh, and I don't think a lot of people out, outside of mining actually know know that. So it's going to be yeah. here forever. I, I agree with you, and, and it's about improving that understanding from yeah. from our, um, our political leaders to to all parts of of the community. Mm. And lastly, any advice that you give any uh, mining professionals in the industry in developing themselves, um, and no matter what discipline they're in, as a mining professional, work going through the ranks, is there anything that you could you could give advice to someone just to better themselves within the industry? Mining is at heart a very practical, almost artisanal skill. It's not just professional skill. You need to understand how to work with, with rock, uh, both in mining, uh, geology, mineral processing to, to produce a saleable product. Thinking of it as a, a spreadsheet or, or something you can work on with a computer will really not help you develop your career. You need to understand the practicalities of, of what it is to be involved with mining, uh, and that to me is, is the key in how you should shape your professional development. Mm. Keep it practical. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Tim. We're going to wrap this up now. So thanks a lot for taking the time to obviously share your journey and providing advice to many of our listeners um, that will listen to this. Um, I'm sure they make it. I'm sure they find that very useful. Um, if I wants to contact you, um, how can they go about doing that? I'm on LinkedIn, uh, drop me a note and uh, we, we can take it from there. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you can contact myself, uh, which is rob at mining-international.org if you've got any questions for Tim. Um, again, I'd like to thank you again uh, for taking the time to do this podcast. And um, for everyone that's listening, hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks very much, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.